fundamentally, you know, B2C businesses, B2B too, but you know, done to consumer businesses, it's like a race to figure out your unit economics yeah. and your channels. And everything else is noise. Yeah. I didn't know this when I started, but I kind of learned it later, and I certainly saw it at Draft once we figured out unit economics, and then we were able to pour millions and millions of dollars per month into marketing, right? And it worked. Um, so, yeah. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Jordan Flegel, who's an early stage investor and serial entrepreneur. Jordan focuses predominantly on the sports tech industry. Before Jordan started investing, he co-founded a number of successful startups, including Draft, a fantasy league app which he started with his best friend and went on to be acquired by Paddy Power. At the time of acquisition, they had a team of fewer than 15 people. Jordan also co-founded CoachUp, which he raised just over $50 million for with the likes of Steph Curry from the Golden State Warriors investing in the company. A calm and humble entrepreneur, Jordan talks nothing but facts when it comes to actually starting a company and what it actually takes to get something off the ground. His views on marketing are very straightforward. Marketing is nothing but maths and science. These days, Jordan heads up Techstars as an MD for their first ever sports-focused accelerator based out in Indiana. We recorded the show at Betawork Studios in New York City. Halfway through the show, we had to leave the studio and end up recording the rest of the episode in the lobby. So apologies in advance for the background noise. All right, let's get into the episode. So Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. So Jordan, when you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself to people? Uh, That's a good question, good opener. (laughs) Um, Hi, I'm Jordan. Nice to meet you. Full stop. <laughs> I don't typically go into. You don't go into the no home. business stuff unless someone asks. Yeah. yeah. They must ask if you play basketball. So I mean, I get that a lot. Of course. Yeah. I mean, the height, yeah. Straight, yeah. Despite away. what you may think, tall people, tall people get annoyed by that question. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> uh, so yeah. how do you? So what do you do? Tell people what you do. Um, well, I guess I would say I'm an entrepreneur and investor. That's kind of a vague answer. Um, if someone were asking me, I would then go deeper from there. Yeah. But you know, I started um, and and run two tech companies. So one was CoachUp, uh, which I was the founder and CEO of. That's a marketplace for kids and coaches. Yeah. You know, sports. I'm sure we'll get into it. That business was based in Boston, um, and then I joined my friend Jeremy as co-CEO of a company I didn't start but later joined. We pivoted and relaunched a business as Draft. Yeah. Um, that's a fantasy sports company here in New York City. So those were the two like companies I've done, both sports tech. So yeah. previously guess, yeah. in New York, I guess you could say about draft. Yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> as of last month, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, been angel investing and you know supporting founders, uh, however I can as an angel and advisor, friend. Yeah. Uh, but passionate about building and scaling companies. Awesome, awesome. So before we talk about kind of like draft and coach up, I want to get a bit more into your background. So did you originally grow up in Israel? No, I, I grew up actually in Cambridge. Ah, uh, Cambridge. Yeah, just, you know, 
people from Cambridge, you know, you could say Cambridge, you could say Boston. It's across yeah. the river. It's kind of like our Brooklyn. Yeah, it depends yeah. uh, how opinionated you are. But yeah, the People's Republic of Cambridge. I, I grew up in Cambridge. Uh, went to high school there uh, and then went to, to college in Maine at a small school, Bowdoin College. Yeah. Nothing to do with startups. So I was a government and philosophy double major, yeah. history minor, and thought about going to law school. Thank God I didn't. Okay. And, uh, and played basketball there. And then, and then I went to so the Israel uh, component. I went, I went and played professional basketball in Israel right. for two years after college and did my MBA in Israel and Tel Aviv University and then came back to Boston to start my first company, Coach Up. Nice. So what was like early life growing up in Boston? Uh, yeah, good. No, Cambridge is uh, is a really, it's a unique city. You know, Harvard is in, in yeah. MIT yeah. in Cambridge, yeah. right? So you have incredible universities. Um, you have a lot of very smart people. You have affluence. You also, it's also an inner city. So um, it's one of the most diverse cities in, in the country. And, oh. uh, you know, went to the public high school, which is a really great experience. Um, because you, you kind of have access to a lot of different types of people and you mm. have um, you know you have AP courses and I think Cambridge spends more than any other public school on their students um, but you also have you know people who are you know the parents didn't go to college and, yeah you know they, they live in the projects around the corner it's a yeah. sort of melting pot for all these mm. different types of people so it you know I have friends from all walks of life all different types of people and that that I think you know made my experience really good and added a lot of value to my life yeah. And we had a good basketball team. Um, <laughs> Ewing went to uh, Cambridge and Lab. I don't know who that is. You don't know who Patrick Ewing is? Uh, it sounds familiar. Oh, yeah. you're in New York? He was uh, his famous ho- NBA Hall of Famer. Played for the Knicks. What was his, like, did he have a nickname? <sighs> I don't think Patrick Ewing had a nickname. Seven-footer, just a great, he's one of the all-time great. Oh, no. Back in the Michael Jordan days, he was the star for the Knicks. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> Patrick Ewing went to my high school, and people, people who know say, no, 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 you went to Patrick Ewing's high school. Oh, you're right. <laughs> oh, he's like that? Yeah, wow, yeah. We, had, we had a great basketball team, and so it was, it was something growing up we were all like really proud in Cambridge yeah. of playing basketball and you know dreamed of being on the high school varsity team yeah. and trying to win a state championship. and so. All that fun stuff. Oh, yeah. And then, so you did actually play some pro basketball, right? Yeah, two years, very unremarkably, but yeah. Unremarkably? I, I, I can claim that I was a former professional basketball player. Was the yeah. goal to make it like to the NBA, or was this like, I'm just going to do this for a while? That so was the original goal. I stopped growing uh, sophomore year of high school. Uh, I was, you know, I'm like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, which is tall. Is that not tall enough? For bo- it, I don't know. If you're really athletic, it's tall enough, but I was like not really athletic. So uh, yeah, I would have had to been, I don't know, 6'10 or something to have a shot. And even then, it's really hard in the NBA. It's just, you know, so few people make it. But yeah. that was the original dream. And then I realized, like, freshman, sophomore year of high school, okay, maybe I can play in college. You know, maybe I can play overseas somewhere. But gave up on the NBA dream. And so, like, where did the entrepreneurial spark come from? Was it, are your parents entrepreneurial? Or where did that get embedded? Yeah. In? Um, no, they're not. I mean, uh, my parents are both writers. Oh. Um, very supportive, very encouraging. You mm. know, I think so. That was helpful from the perspective that they never said, uh, "Don't go start a company, like get a real job." They were they were like supportive when I wanted to go do coach up. Nice. Um, but they weren't uh, they weren't entrepreneurs or business people. Uh, my friend Jeremy, who you know, I ended up doing draft together yeah. and we invest together. He was uh, a year below me in school, but he started when I, when I was in Israel playing basketball. He graduated from Syracuse. He's like an entrepreneurship major. I don't think he credits that for helping him much. He had this idea for fantasy sports stock market, which he originally called Star Street. Yeah. So he he caught the entrepreneurial bug, I'd say, mm. before I did. Okay. And, you know, so talking to him about it, I think, and then seeing him sort of take the initial steps of trying to raise money and build a business, that kind of, kind of planted the idea of startups in my mind. Mm. Um, at the same time, I was, uh, you know, you had sort of Facebook and 
you know, it, it was becoming kind of cool to be a startup founder yeah. in a way that it kind of wasn't when I was in high school, but right as I was graduating from college, it right. started to be more on my radar screen. And then I think the third kind of factor is when I was in Israel, you know, Israel's, you know, quote, startup nation. Yeah. It's a very, you know, entrepreneurial and is particularly with tech companies. Yeah, some of the best engineers are over there. Oh, yeah. And, you know, not a lot of natural trading partners, you mm. know, not a lot of other industries there. It's a very small country, but um, so they're sort of forced to be really good at tech, and they are. Yeah. Um, and so that sort of entrepreneurial DNA rubbed off on me. Um, and then when I went to business school there, the whole focus really of that was entrepreneurial and sort of for people wanted to start tech companies. Yeah, I would say so. It was it, you know like anything. There's no one. There's no one answer. Yeah, I don't, you know, like my dad is it. the CEO of yeah. you know, Google. No, it's yeah. not not that, but no. several different uh, factors. I'd say. Yeah. So then, CoachUp. So from what I could understand of CoachUp is it's kind of like a ZocDoc for coaches, right? Is that the is that the pitch? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's a marketplace. Marketplace, it's a marketplace. for yeah. coaches. Yeah. So how did you come up with this idea, and like, what did you do first? Yeah, you know, I think like, um, you know, a lot of stories. I'm sure you've heard of or, or interviewed for this podcast. You know, it was, uh, it was something that was personal for me. Um, I encountered what I guess you'd say is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, you know, I was a basketball player. I had a, a private coach guy he was a camp counselor that I met and he agreed to work with me one-on-one yeah and through that I went from being like a really not good basketball player you know I was on the freshman team as a freshman in high school to being a starter on varsity as a sophomore and I kept getting better every year and wow. kept getting better throughout college I went to a division three school was a backup as a freshman you know senior year we had the best year in school history and mm-hmm. I did well personally and then went and played overseas with, you know I was playing with NBA guys and so that was kind of uh, unfathomable to me. I guess eight years prior, you would have said, "Oh, this this kid never could have been yeah. that, that good." So, but every summer I worked with this this coach one on one. So I had a personal experience of having um, someone really teach me how to play, and mm. just what a dramatic impact that made. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to do that. My first big business idea, right, was well, let me how just we take. This? Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't even that. My first idea was, oh, Greg taught me how to play basketball, and you know. He was able to charge pretty good money, you know, mm-hmm. for these for these lessons. It was one on one or small groups, you know. And I was like, well, I could probably do that for other kids. That was my first idea. Mm-hmm. So I started coaching kids. So throughout college, my summer job was, you know, I was in the gym anyway training. So yeah. I just started working with kids, you know, forty, fifty, sixty dollars an hour, whatever it was. Wow. But that was pretty cool. And you know, I ended up creating a little website and I started marketing my services a little bit. Mm. You know, I'm a coach. Come train with me. And I realized there's a lot of problems with it in that, you know, I had friends who'd ask me, oh, well, that, that's cool. Can I coach kids too? I'd say, sure. You know, well, what do I have to do? You got to mm. create a website. You got to like put flyers in a cafe or something yeah, or get yeah. the word out somehow. Yeah. You know, you got to coordinate with parents. You got to, you know, whatever. You got to collect payments. You got to remember how many sessions you've done and how mm. many more are left to do. You know, you're running a mobile business. So bring a notebook with you when you yeah. go to the gym, right? Like, and, uh, you know, I started to see as other marketplaces were popping up, Geez, why isn't there a, a platform and a marketplace connecting kids with coaches? Um, and, it, you know, I, I went deeper and deeper from there. But it really started from I had a personal experience. I was impacted by it. Mm. Then I became a coach. Then I had friends ask me, can I coach you? And it sort of grew kind of organically from there. And I decided when I got back from Israel that, you know, um, that was really an idea that I wanted to try to help scale. And if I could help kids across the country, you know, get coaches, that would be really impactful. I could, I could have a greater impact than just yeah. doing it, you know, just with one kid at a time. Yeah. And like, that's an incredible story as well, by the way. But how did you start? So, are you an engineer by trade? Did you no, know, you know, no, a programmer? no. Okay. So, what was like the first thing that you done once you realized, okay, there's actually a market slash business here. Yeah. How do I how do I go about doing this? 
I mean, I'm sure Jeremy helped. Yeah, uh, yeah Jeremy was was helpful because he, he had you know a year. He was kind of a year ahead in that regard, right? Yeah. So um, you know, I literally didn't know didn't know anything about it. I didn't know where to start. The first thing I'd say is I, I committed to just doing it. I didn't know what it was, but mm. I was actually in a car with Jeremy on the way to uh, Maine. Our families are very close, and, um, and uh, he had asked me on, on, the, on the ride, "What would you do if like money were no issue?" You know? And I would say, "Well, you know, I would." I would figure out a way to help kids through sports, you know, at, at, at as big a scale as I could. He's like, well, that's exactly what you should do. I'm like, you know, because I had just, you know, sort of finished playing basketball. I'd finished, I had my MBA. And I was kind of really starting out and like, what do I want to do with my life? Mm. And uh, I remember on that car ride, I, I started to think about, you know, domain names. And I created a list of, I don't know, 10 or 15 domains. And the the top one on my list was, you know, Coach Up, because I wanted to help coach kids up, mm -hmm. right? And get coached up and all sort of stuff. It was, it was a name that kind of resonated with me. And in that ride, I, I, you know, we found the content information, called, no one else had picked up, by the way, all the other top 10. I started like yeah. number 10, I worked my way down 10, <laughs> 9, 8, no one yeah. picked up. And a lady picked up and I said, oh geez, I really like your domain. And she's like, oh, actually I'm not using it anymore. I used to be like a yoga instructor or something, but if you want it, you can have it. I was like, oh, okay, how much do you want? She's like, I don't know, $100. What? So we pulled over. I put a hundred dollars in cash in an envelope and just mailed it to her. <laughs> <laughs> that's how. We, that's how we bought uh, coachup.com. So that uh, I guess there was yeah. no Venmo around at the time. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, hopefully that's an indication of how little I knew about what I was doing. Yeah, right? wow, that's great. But on the other hand, like you know, sometimes you just got to commit to like, no, I'm going to do this. And I think buying that domain and have, feeling great about the name and like feeling great about the mission was really first important yeah. first step. But you know, from there, any, any business, it's kind of a catch twenty two thing, right? You need. You need to have engineers for a tech company in order to build a product. Right. You need to have a product in order to gain traction. Yeah. You need to have traction in order to raise money. Chicken and egg, yeah. Yeah, chicken and egg. So hard. So, you know, I'm not an engineer, so I first set out to, you know, find a technical co-founder. That took me six months. Wow. Um, and, you know, I didn't just want anyone. I wanted, like, the right person. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I linked up with Aryan, uh, Aryan Radman, who became my uh, co-founder and CTO. That was massive, and then I spent my time trying to get you know a hundred coaches to agree to be on the site once yeah. it was eventually built. The biz dev side. Yeah, I did that, um, and I would bring them, I'd give them pizza, I would talk to them. You know, it's a hundred coaches in Boston. I took the kids that I was working with, mm. and I put them on the platform. Nice. So immediately we had revenue. We had a little bit of a product, yeah, even yeah. though it wasn't very good right when we launched. I raised fifty thousand dollars. How did you get that? It was really, uh, it was hard. Um, it was from three angel investors, I wanted like real angel investors. Um, I met one at the Cambridge Innovation Center. And then um, he had a friend he introduced me to, and then I got a third, and so I'm still really grateful to those guys. But raised $50,000, and with that, I hired my second engineer, um, Gabe DeRaza, who became you know co-founder and founding team member and our lead developer, and so, you know, he got a 50 grand salary. <laughs> that was, you just like I say, here you go. So, uh, <laughs> to start, Pete, yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredibly talented, super bright uh, MIT grad. Just so all of a sudden, I had you know I had two engineers who were yeah. both great. And that enabled them to really get, build the build the product, build the platform, um, and I was able to sort of focus on raising more money, hiring more people, getting more coaches, yeah. trying to you know prove out our, our CAC and LTV and getting more you know kids on the site, and so yeah. you know all that sort of stuff. But uh, without those guys, you know, I, there would be no coach up today. So. How long did it take you to go from like two co-founders to like 
functional website? Like, was it a long period from like idea yeah. to like, execution? No, we got it. I forget exactly what it was, but it was pretty quick. I mean, because uh, it's not like three. a super technical. No, and it, you know, and again, we were sort of lean methodology, right? So yeah. it was like three months, not even, yeah. um, to get like something up that was mm -hmm. functional where we could accept payments and a coach could create a profile and an athlete could, or their parent could yeah. book the coach was for a session. Was it a, a PayPal session. kind of plugin or was it like a, a and We ended up using Stripe. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to forget if we started with Stripe. I think so because I originally used to talk to the Collison brothers when it was called Dev Payments. Uh, I okay. wish I was angel investing back then. <laughs> oh, I was wow, like, don't we all? This, this is brilliant. <laughs> and I wasn't even called Stripe at the time. And Jeremy and I wanted to invest. Um, but we didn't have any money, so <laughs> too bad. Uh, one day, guys, we'll come back one day. Yeah, Maybe yeah, I yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've missed plenty of deals, but that was certainly, that was certainly one. But so, uh, yeah, so Stripe, we use Stripe. Nice, so, so you have this website up, and then you were focused on bringing on more coaches and fundraising, right? Yeah, and, and hiring. So it's just basically everything that I could do so that uh, R&D Gabe could just focus on building the uh, the product, right? Yeah. So I sort of took everything else. And I saw that you guys, you obviously got Steph Curry as yeah. an investor. How did that how did that come about? That came later. So we raised 50 grand. Uh, then I raised, two months later, we raised like 60 grand. I hired more people. Then another, a couple months later, we went through Mass Challenge. We won Mass Challenge. That was nice. nice. We raised like another 300K. We went through Texas Boston. We raised like 2.6 coming out of Texas Boston, led by John Catalyst. Hired more people. It, was, it kept being, you know, raise money, hire yeah, people, yeah. grow. Raise yeah, money, yeah, hire people, good. grow, you know? And um, momentum is so important with startups. A year later, we raised a $6.7 million round. And it was after that that uh, we, uh, we partnered up with Steph. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I felt like, you know, we were creating a category. So, you know, all the credit in the world, of course, to Uber and Airbnb, what they thought is amazing. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, really big markets, right? People need a place to stay. And they figured out a way better to do it, you know, a way to do it. And it's additive and all that's incredible. Um, or, you know, people need to go from point A to point B. It was mm -hmm. with us, we were really, what is private coaching? Why do I need it? And, uh, you know, the truth is, every top athlete, this is basically the most important thing that they do to get better. Yeah. That's what every NBA player does. Yep. That's what Steph does. His coaches are on the site, right? It's, you can't get better um, without one-on-one -on -one coaching. Mm -hmm. In person. Yeah. I fundamentally believe that. I think it's true. I think yeah. all the best athletes in the world would agree with it. And um, But there's 40, you know, 40 million kids that play sports, and they're not getting, they don't have access to that. Mm -hmm. For a number of reasons, it's hard to find. It's too expensive. The right coach for my kids, not the right coach for your, for your kid. Different mm -hmm. genders, different positions, different. They live in different places. They yeah. have different needs, right? So, it really should have. You know, it made sense for there to be a marketplace or platform for youth sports coaching. And there's millions of former college athletes and pro athletes that, you know, if money were no issue, they would love to coach. But they're not tech people. It doesn't make sense for them to create their own website or their mm -hmm. own app, right? They're running a mobile business, so mm -hmm. they. It's a quarter field or a gym, so yeah. it really made sense for there to be like a, a natively mobile, you know, platform for for kids and coaches, um, and to build a really positive brand in youth sports, and it didn't exist, and so you know I set out to do it. Um, but you know, with Steph, I think it was really important for us. It's one thing for me to say like this: private coaching is the most important thing. It's the best way to improve. Um, it has all these other benefits too, sort of you know, confidence in kids. Mm. And, um, you, know, you can reach kids through sports in a way you sometimes can't with academics. That was certainly true for me. Um, but, you know, to have someone like Stefan say it, you know, carry a lot more weight. Yeah, of course. Me saying it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's got how many rings now? <laughs> yeah, well, this was before all that. This is before all that. He just, you know, he had an authentic, I mean, he's like, this is what I did to get better. Yeah. You know, this is my story. And um, and so he was the right person for us Yeah. Um, because it was authentic. It was authentic to him and it was authentic to what we were doing. Basketball's our top sport. You know, yeah. he's playing in San Francisco. There's a lot of venture capital there. Yeah. You know, he's a great person. Like, um, you know. Uh, it, it 
kind of he hit on sort of all the boxes for us to go do something big with him um, in an authentic way. You know, and you, you could be Steph Curry. You, you probably can't be Dwight Howard just because yeah. not everyone is that strong and that big, yeah. and that, right? But, um, you know, someone, Steph, someone who's worked really hard to be who he is and benefited from coaching along the way. And, you know, that's, that's kind of what we're about. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier, like, figuring out CAC and LTV. Yeah. Like, how are, how are you acquiring users? How are kids finding out about you guys? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I kind of have, maybe this is a, um, you know, I'm a bit on an island on, on this, but I kind of have a view that venture capital at scale is there's a lot of sort of, you know, fancy theories and things, but really what it comes down to, all the VCs <laughs> do, is they say, okay, what are the unit economics here, and do you have channels that you can scale? Yeah. And if you don't, then you're really not, you know, you shouldn't be raising venture capital, you know. Um, and I, I, oftentimes VCs will say, oh, the team's amazing, you know, like, I love the market, whatever. I think, you know, probably the majority of the decision comes down to, are there proven unit economics here and just get it in channels that can scale? Yeah. Can I acquire a customer for $100 and make 200 off them? And can I do that at scale? Can I pour $50 million into that yeah, and, yeah. and like know that that equation will work? And mm-hmm. if so, great, want to invest. And if not, well, let's maybe seed it or bridge it or something till we get to a point where we can do that or right. some other firm can do it and we right. can mark our investment up, right? So mm-hmm. fundamentally, you know, B2C businesses, B2B too, but you know, I've done two consumer businesses. It's like a race to figure out your unit economics yeah. and your channels. And everything else is noise. Yeah. I didn't know this when I started, but I've kind of learned it later. And I certainly saw it at draft once we figured out unit economics and then we were able to pour millions and millions of dollars per month into marketing, right? And it worked. Um, so yeah, you know, for coach up in fact, the early days, how much does it cost to get a coach on the platform? Well, the, the early answer was like a slice of pizza. <laughs> and, and some time, right? Yeah. That, that changed overall. But it was always pretty cheap for us to acquire the coach side because these are people who they want to coach. They want to make money. I'm saying, yeah. here's the best platform in the world. Here's an app. We're going to try to market your service, and we're going to take a cut of what we bring to you. Sound good? So they didn't have to pay to go on to the No, platform. they didn't have to pay to go on. So okay. there was really, I didn't want any friction there. Mm-hmm. And early on, too, there wasn't, you know, we didn't ask the, everything of them that we do now. You know, now we have like a step-by-step guide and a progress bar, and like yeah. complete your profile, you can like verify deep background checks, yeah. and like, and we we're only letting on certain coaches in certain markets and things like that. But early on, it was like, if you've uh, played at the college level or higher, or if coached at the high school level or higher, um, and you're in a you know sport and a market that we want, um, we'll give you a shot, basically, mm. right? It's kind of hard to tell who's going to be a good coach unless you collect reviews and data on yeah. them. But anyway, I'm digressing on the coach side. It was easy for us to, any marketplace, either the buy side and the, and the sell supply side, side right? Yeah. The sell side. So we started by going after the, the coach side because if you don't have coaches, you yeah. can't book anything. Yeah. There's a story, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And so we started there. And you know, we realized that they'd be okay hanging out on our site, even if we didn't bring them a lot of clients, because we were giving them a nice platform and better tech to manage their own clients, and we weren't charging them anything. So, even if they didn't have a great experience, we didn't bring them any customer, you know, for the first couple months, it wasn't like they were, like, calling me and, like, saying, what the hell? Yeah. I wasted my time, you know? And you didn't charge them, so. And charge them anything. So that was the first. And then once we got, you know, like we launched with 100 coaches in Boston. Um, and 50K in funding and a team and an article in the Boston Globe. And I was like, hey, geez, you know, we're, we have revenue because it was my kids. Yeah. Were going through the site on the weekend, yeah. you know, so I was, like, busy building coaching during the week. On the weekend, coaching as many kids as I could to, mm. like, get progress and traction on a week-by-week basis yeah, on the yeah. on the site, hustling. right? So hustling, yeah, hustling. But, um, you know, what does it cost initially through SEM to acquire a parent or an athlete who's going to pay for a coach? And so we started, you know, we started, that was our first channel, SEM. SEM. 
SEM. Yeah. SEM. Yeah, 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 because, marketing. you know, we can yeah. pay for ads, and we'd say, oh, my God, it costs us, I don't, I'm making up the numbers, I don't remember what it was, but $20 to get someone to the site, and it costs us $40 to get them to, you know, message the coach, and it yeah. costs us $100 to book the coach or something, right? right? And we're not making that much off them. This is terrible. This is a nightmare. Like, right? We're wasting our money, right? It was, yeah. And it wasn't that extreme. It was something where initially, of course, the numbers don't look great. But with every extra coach that you add, more supply, more likelihood clients will convert. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the prettier and better that we made the functionality of the site, the more press we got, the more credibility that we got. Later yeah. on, adding someone like Stefan, right? It's mm-hmm. very helpful. All these things that you do. You know, you look at the conversion on, you know, from the landing page to the search page to the coach's profile page to booking the coach. Yeah. And you start to see, you start to track all that. Yeah. And you start to see improvements as your your team works on the product and on the design and add more supply mm-hmm. and your brand is out there more and there's more trust. Marketplace is fundamentally about trust. trust. Um, and you start to see that CAC, the cost to acquire a customer, go down. Mm-hmm. And um, and hopefully your LTV goes up as well over time, and you're doing things on, in the, on that front as well. And then numbers start to hopefully work, yeah, <laughs> and at least work by certain channels, right? Yeah. And we had a really strong SEO play too, because every new coach we added was a new profile page with right. new SEO-rich content, yeah, right. Um, and so and, and that helped. And SEM and SEO are very interlocked and mm-hmm. kind of work together in parallel. And now we have we our CAC is so low now because we just basically get everyone through word of mouth and SEO. Yeah, that's great. Um, but, you know, that wasn't the case initially. In the beginning, yeah. No. yeah. And when you were, when you got that first 50 grand check and then the 60, were people asking you questions on this or was it more about you and, like, we just think this is a cool idea and you're a cool guy? Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it wasn't... Yeah, no, I wasn't getting grilled on what's your, what are your unit economics, but it was more like what's your pricing, what's your pricing model, or how do you envision the marketplace unfolding? And, yeah. You know, are are you going to do a city by city rollout? Are you going to focus on just one sport? Mm. You know, um, every marketplace is different in how how they do it. You know, when Uber goes to a new city, they they prime the pump. Like they might pay initially to have drivers yeah. drive around in circles even before they turn on the app for consumers, just so that when a consumer turns on the app. It's a good experience, yeah. Right, and every marketplace is, is different. Yeah, um, so, different. Yeah, so um, you know, it's just more strategic kind of questions like that. And how do you think about hiring? And how do you think about building a marketplace? How do you think about rolling out? How do you think about verticals? How do you think about what's the plan for fundraising? You yeah. know, um, it was more things, things like that. Right, and then when did you decide to transition out into drafts? Because Coach yeah. Up's still going. Coach Up's still going. Um, yes, we raised 15 million in venture for Coach Up. I remain, I'm chairman of the board now. Yeah. Um, I uh, I love Coach Up, you know, but now, now I'm on the board. I'm not I'm not running the company You're anymore. Running the company. You know? Which is a good uh, position. I mean, this is the thing you built on your own, right? This is incredible. Yeah, you know, it, it's tough, sir. So, I mean, sometimes it, it's really, it depends on the founder and it depends on the on the company, you know? And maybe for the next one, I'll, I'll take it all the way to IPO or exit. Yeah. Um, but for, for Coach Up, you know, we, I think it was a, a number of things. We, we raised um, a good amount of money. I started the company when I was 25. Yeah. Um, I ran an SEO for the first four years. Um, we brought in uh, someone, John Kelly, now the CEO of the company. Yeah. Um, I remained in the sort of president chairman role. And, uh, you know, I just wanted Coach Up to be successful. So basically, I agreed and went along with kind of all of the feedback, probably too much so for my yeah. board of directors. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I, I wanted very much to, to just play ball and to, like, I didn't care whether I was, what role I had, I just wanted Coach Up to be successful. You know, I was by far the largest shareholder in the business, and mm-hmm. I just wanted a good outcome. And uh, for Coach Up to reach as many kids as possible. And so, um, yeah, once I transitioned out of being CEO to being sort of president chair role, I kind of got bored. 
Mm. Um, it was a little bit hard, you know, when you hand off your baby to someone else. Yeah. Uh, initially, it was going to be, be very collaborative. I was bringing someone who was much more experienced, and all sort of stuff was good. And, you know, I was very involved in choosing him to be there and wanted him to be there. And so it was, it was a collaborative thing. But I kind of would go to the office and I'd be like, what am I doing today? You mm. know, because any conversation I want to have with someone, I had to make sure, oh, shoot. Maybe, you know, the CEO said something different. Yeah. And people were sort of looking at me and sort of looking at the CEO. Yeah. And I realized that, that that can be a pretty tough thing. Yeah. And I'm really a founder, and I don't do great as a number two, I realized, yeah. uh, in a company. <laughs> and Yeah, and, you know, and especially with something I was so passionate about. It was such a personal business, yeah. you know. Um, so I realized I should, you know, I should probably make sense to stay on the board but go and do another company. Yeah. So I was going to go start another company, but, um, you know, the opportunity to, to, to join up with Jeremy. Um, we had really hit on the uh, product that I felt great about, something that was very, again, personal for me and Jeremy, sort of a game that we had always done offline with pen and paper, uh, drafting players. So Jeremy and I always wanted to work together, and um, you know this idea. Ever since we were kids, we would play this game where we would say, "Okay, you get the first pick. Who do you take?" So you'd say, "I don't know, LeBron James," and I get to. I take Steph and KD, right. and then you'd be on the clock, and we try to assemble teams. And then we'd ask Jeremy's dad, Elliot, which team is better. Right. And Elliot, you know, wasn't like the be all and end all of yeah. like judgment and basketball, but for us, he that was how we would decide it. And then you know we would play video games like Madden, and we would. Um, we would draft teams and simulate the season. But so we, we love drafting and thinking about how do you put together a team. Mm. Which is one of my favorite things, by the way, about building startups is thinking about how do you assemble a team of great people. Like, um, so this was a game that we just would always do. And since we were kids, and we kept doing it, you know, through college and, and beyond. And um, you know, Jeremy had pivoted the business twice, and finally we'd come around to doing draft and doing a draft format where you're literally against other people in a very social way, very differentiated from season-long fantasy game that mm. Fandom and DraftKings developed. Yeah. Um, you know, much more social. Um, you know, I would take a player. You'd get a push alert. You'd be on the clock. You'd take a player. I yeah. could. We couldn't have the same players on our team. Ah, interesting. Or we could do a draft of four people, and you and your buddies could all be, you know, at work or at different places, and you're doing a draft with your friends. Yeah. Uh, with your phone. So I thought that was a very cool twist. Yeah. And something that was authentic to who we were and what we loved doing. And so I said, Hell yeah, I'm in. Let's do this. So. Uh, took a one-way train to New York City. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, not too far. From not too far. Uh, I moved into the office. I slept in the office. Legit. Uh, we were out of money at the time, so I had to raise money, uh, and, and we were so we did, and grew like crazy, and you know, uh, it was a small team, super talented team, and um, built draft into something that's really cool. I think definitely the best product in the fantasy space. Yeah. Um, that's not a credit to me. It's a credit to the the product team and the engineering yeah. team that mm -hmm. we was extremely strong, the best group I worked with, but. You know, raised a million bucks, and then uh, we s I sold the business within a year for forty-eight million. Uh, so that was uh, that was a good, good, crazy, busy that year. That is a bizarre um, story. But you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, X exit. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of work that went into thing before I joined. I kind of came for the glory moment at the end, I guess you'd say. But um, you know, we finally hit. I think it, we finally hit on the right product, and and I don't think it's just sounds nice to say that it was a product that actually meant something to us and mm. I think the first two versions just didn't Still really work, yeah. and 
this was something that we wanted for ourselves. Yeah. Again, it kind of felt like coaching, like something that we wanted to see exist in the world. Yeah. And we decided, what the hell, let's just do it. That's crazy. And uh, it really took off. And how were you, I mean, I know nothing about the fantasy betting world. How were you guys like growing? Like, how did you figure out the marketing engine? Was it like word of mouth or did you, like what was the other hack? So you, for Coach Up it was, you know, SEM and SEO. What was the thing for, for draft? Yeah, uh, good question. Yeah, for every, every business has different channels, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's not always clear. Um, what your channel is going to be and I found that the best businesses have certain hacks and things that they do to find different channels yeah. that really work that are non-obvious and that's where you can really get a good return anyone can spend on SEM or on TV or on billboards mm. or you know radio ads right um, but uh, it takes some work to actually think of different different hacks and different channels to get to get the word out without spending a ton of money yeah um, but you know for draft it we um, well, our, our, you know, we decided, okay, who are, who's the core audience here? It's easiest to get people who already know what fantasy sports is. Mm -hmm. They're already playing on our competitors, Fando and DraftKings. We're now part of Fando, right? We're, yeah. all, we're all part of the same team now. Yeah. Um, but time was a competitor. And um, so let's just, we have a better game. So let's, and we know how to get to those people. So let's go get those people and just tell them we have a better game and then make it easy for them to try it. So you just went onto FanDuel's platform, for example? No, so we would go to places that FanDuel had a, or DraftKings had, had had success acquiring a lot of customers. And so there are affiliate sites ah. um, that provide, you know, provide a lot of content and even annual subscriptions for premium content mm. for fantasy players. And they had already sent their whole audience to FanDuel and DraftKings. Yeah. They had already sort of monetized it. You know, yeah. FanDuel and DraftKings had raised a lot of money yeah. um, and had kind of hit all those sites before. but. So we were able to go to them and say, hey, we have a differentiated game and your user base is going to really love it because it's way better than our competitors. Mm -hmm. We believe that that was true. It is true. And um, so that was that was a way that we could really go to the source very quickly and we could do rev share type deals. Right. So we didn't have to pay a lot up front. So it was like a strategic partnership. Exactly. Yeah, Smart. exactly. Um, so that was one way. Um, you know, we found, you know, there's podcasts that were dedicated to fantasy football, like fantasy footballers, for instance. Yeah. And so we would, uh, that was a really important partner for us. Again, we were trying to go as directly as possible to people who, we didn't have to explain what fantasy was. Yeah. We didn't have to explain, you know, really too much about why we were so better. We just had to get them to try it. We knew yeah. if they liked fantasy sports, they would love what we we're doing. Yeah. And we developed the most passionate uh, customers in, in the industry because yeah. our product was was really good. Yeah, and it's got a very like tribal mentality when it comes to like, yeah, exactly. Like people yeah. who are into it are really into it. If you're into like fantasy leagues, you're really you're really into it. into it. Exactly. So we started with those people, but we we built a game that was meant to be um, much more social and much more downstream. So it was meant to appeal to. Here's the big idea. I think every business has one big idea, like yeah. one aha moment, mm -hmm. right? Um, it certainly was that way for coach. There's millions of athletes. You know, play in college, play professional. When they're done, what do they do? Yeah. Um, they can monetize their skill as an athlete. Yeah. And there's, you know, millions of kids who are looking for a coach, who need a coach, who don't know how to find it. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, with draft, you know, uh, for, for fantasy sports, it sounds like you're not much of a fantasy sports player. No, but I'm not. <laughs> um, You know, if you ask fantasy players what their favorite time of the year is, they'll all say the draft. So typically in a league, you get all your buddies together, online or in person, once per year, the yeah. start of the NFL season, and you do a draft. And that's a lot of fun. But yeah. the rest of the experience of fantasy sports, maintaining your lineup of players, subbing yeah. people in and out, make, it feels like work. Mm. Everyone really looks forward to the draft. The draft, yeah. So, ah, hence the name. Hence the name. <laughs> but so, um, 
it just didn't really make sense that the best part of a game happens only one time per year. Why not do it every day? Yeah. Uh, that was our idea. Let's uh, take this great experience. Yeah. Let's make it natively mobile. Let's make it social. Let's make it so it's easy for anyone to play. Yeah. And let's tell people, hey, if you love doing drafts, do it every day. Don't Dude. do it once per year. That's good. That was our business. Yeah. And it and worked. With, and with the podcasting side of things, were you just doing straight ads on these podcasts? Or were you like going on there? We would integrate. Yeah. We wanted, we wanted everything to be authentic. Yeah. So, you know, and so we, we would want the, the, pot, you know, the host, the, to, the play host the to play the game and yeah. to like actually really love it. And um, and you know develop real relationships with them when they go deep and and then you get the best reads because the guys you know they're not reading an ad they're just yeah. like this is why this is so much better than yeah, yeah than want. DraftKings right and yeah. they would they would yeah and so so you had these two avenues podcasting strategic partnerships I guess with the affiliate sites yeah I mean and look digital worked well for us too Facebook, Facebook you know Twitter we got into it but originally you know we only raised a million bucks and most of that went to the team and so we didn't have that much money to yeah, test into marketing it was a very seasonal business we had to market going into football season which is when you sort of acquire your customers for football and then mm -hmm. you hope that they will stay and play in the NBA season that follows yeah. and sort of you cross tell them into the other sports and you know but um, you know we, we, we just crushed it and we went out we we're going to raise a lot more money and then we ended up selling the business but the model worked yeah. and um, you know we could have probably raised a lot of money and done sort of what FanDuel and DraftKings had done but um, we decided to you know uh, partner with Patty Power Betfair which is the largest you know sports betting company in the world and they wanted to put a lot of money behind us to acquire a lot of customers to really grow and you know that enabled us to roll draft out very quickly. So they invested in you guys first, and then no, they didn't. They they oh, bought us. Okay, but they just bought you exactly. But you know they um, they sort of put wind behind our sales right after the acquisition. They put a lot of money into us scaling and building our team from ten people to you know like forty people and mm. a lot of marketing you sold dollars for behind us. Forty-eight million with ten people. We had ten people in an apartment in New York. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I mean that's a story on its own, <laughs> like on a whole another day. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> That is bizarre. I mean, like Instagram obviously sold for a billion with twelve people. Yeah. So, so like, yeah, this I'm jealous. Isn't, no, like, no, not to like, you yeah, know, your success. That's still yeah. very good. But I mean, like, to have ten people. I mean, you always hear people like always trying to raise more and build up a big team, and it's not it's not necessary. It's about the product and like making sure you have good engineers and designers and like the product works. You don't yeah. need more people. You need a good product. Yeah, yeah, great, great product, great team. You know, I I feel like companies can get pretty bloated on staff. Um, if you have really great people, mm. you know they can they can do the work of three, four, or five people, right? Yeah, um, and so that's the mindset that I have. But but yeah, look, timing matters, and you know, um, fantasy was a really interesting time. We were certainly um, in a good position, whether we had raised or sold, because yeah. sports betting was going to be legalized in the U.S. Yeah. And um, but you know, we had a great product, we had a great great technical team, and um, our, our unit economics worked. We had scalable channels. Yeah. And so we had a lot of options as a result, as a result of that. That's good. I want to I want to switch gears a bit now and talk a bit more about startups in the general sense. So, like, what have you seen be most of the the, the biggest mistakes startups tend to make? Because obviously you've done a lot of engine investing. You've been, you've invested in quite a few great companies. What kind of the typical mistakes you seem to see? Um, yeah, you know, maybe st keeping with our theme about raising money. Um, you know, sometimes people fall in love with raising money for, for, for the sake of it, or, you know, feels good to announce a big round. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, you sort of, you look at how much your common shares are now worth, and you think, oh, geez, I'm now a multimillionaire or whatever. Yeah. It's, you know, it's tough to turn that down. But you know, the more money that you raise, so there's a lot of great outcomes for companies that happen short of going public or short of selling for 100 million plus. Mm -hmm. you know, it's something like 70% of startups sell for, 
you know, below 50 million, right? Yeah. It's something like that. So, um, you know, really being conscious of, if you raise a couple million dollars, you have a lot of potential great outcomes ahead of you. You know, you could sell the business for 20 million bucks mm-hmm. and have everyone be thrilled and you could do it in a short amount of time. Yeah. And if you can get a really good team together and you find a product that works um, or you can be additive to a strategic partner, you know, that's a great outcome. So um, I think one, you know, I've seen some companies that raise too much money mm-hmm. because they could. Um, I've seen companies that fall in love with, um, you know, fall in love with conferences, fall in love with press, fall mm. in love with how pretty their website is, have yeah. all these things that are just non-core to do your unit economics worth. Have, have you built a great product? Do you have scalable channels? Yeah. And do you have a great team that can execute, right? Those, that's, you have a great team and a product and unit economics that work or could work if you iterate more uh, on your product and you know that you can scale channels, that's when you can raise a lot of money. That's when you should raise a yeah. lot of money. Or you can sell, um, and so um, you know have the person, that you, the company that you sell to, you know, kind of put the money behind you to, to execute, right? So um, it, it kind of laser focus now on team, products, unit economics, and scalable channels. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is like the most impactful advice that I can give because there's just so many things that pull full time, first time founders into different. And I was guilty of this as a first time founder. I get invited to go speak or to go hang out with some celebrity or to go, yeah, you know, yeah. like on some Nantucket I mean, retreat. Me, I probably will go. To no, that. yeah, no, but you know, there's so many shiny objects, right? Yeah. When you're young and you're building a company for the first time, and you just you can get a bit distracted from what really matters and what really drives shareholder value, and mm. um, so that's a big part of the advice that, that I tend to give. And how, but it's hard to like navigate the shiny thing because you know is speaking at a conference useful for your business like how do you gauge whether it's useful or not typically not unless you're B2B and yeah. you know that there's going to be large companies there to sell to otherwise yeah. it tends to be like vanity metrics a little bit of vanity you know yeah. Uh, so yeah. and have you ever invested in a like first time founder no product or pre-product or like they haven't kind of figured out their CAC yes Definitely, um, a lot. Um, you know, if you're investing early, often you know you're you're getting behind someone because you really believe that they are capable. Uh, you know, they're doing something in an interesting market. They have a vision for what a product could be, and um, you know, there's someone who is capable of hiring great people and, and focusing the team, and they're passionate about that space. So, you know, just not giving up is so much of what this is about. And yeah. if you have someone who's capable of of kind of really rallying people around a cause and, and keeping people focused and being authentic and being inspirational um, you know that it's so so valuable for a business if you don't have that it's almost impossible to make it work um, so yeah you know the name of our little investment vehicle is founders first you know so we, we really prioritize we were founders first but we prioritize yeah. like putting the founder first and really caring about who that person is um, and is it someone that we really want to back for this one and for the next one? Um, and then, you know, in my role now as Managing Director of Techstar Sports, which I'm launching this year, yeah. um, it's the same thing that we really look for the team and, you know, who the founder is. Are they capable of, of being the kind of person who could build a, build a big business and, um, and be focused along the way? So, is yeah. This, is this the first Techstar Sports kind of vehicle? Yeah, yeah I thought so. I hadn't seen anything like that before. Yeah. So you're heading that up, which is, a, you know, it's great. What's, what's kind of the mission with this? What's the plan? Um, yeah, you know, I, I, both CoachUp and Draft went through Techstars. You know, mm-hmm. I put CoachUp through Techstars, Boston as founder and CEO. Jeremy, before I joined Draft, uh, you know, went through Techstars Boston as well. Yeah. Um, there have been other, you know, great sports-related companies that have gone through Techstars, like ClassPass yeah. in New York, of course. Um, but there wasn't a dedicated sports accelerator, and I, I felt like there really should be a really strong sports accelerator 
for seed stage companies that really are accelerating, no pun intended, accelerating toward their <laughs> Series A, right? Yeah. And that's what I would have wanted to have uh, early on. And so um, I felt like it was just a thing that should exist in the world. And I'm obviously a big fan of Techstars and an LP in the Boston Techstars program. And I've invested and advised uh, other Techstars companies. And uh, so I, I just tried to help the Techstars leadership kind of think through Accelerator and where it should be and if yeah. we're going to do it for sports. And this group in Indianapolis, uh, led by Scott Dorsey, who's the founder of Exact Target, took public, sold Salesforce. Mm -hmm. um, Steve Simon owns the Pacers, Indian Pacers, um, really rallied the Indianapolis community together. So along with the Colts, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the NCAA, which is headquartered in Indianapolis, those are all LPs in part, along with Indiana Sports Corp and the state of Indiana itself through its venture arm. So they rallied this whole group together and said, hey, no, we really want to plant a flag and say Indianapolis can be the capital of sports tech. Yeah. And we really want to grow the startup ecosystem here and have sports be a big part of that story. Mm. And that was something that really appealed to me. And the timing worked out really well. And I decided, you know, I would, uh, something I would want to lead and launch and, and go do. Is it the typical textiles model? Like 10 companies, 120K, 68%? You got it. Yep, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. So. Uh, I want to switch gears and work towards wrapping up now and ask some rapid fire questions. Um, what has or who has been your biggest inspiration today? Uh, my dad. Nice. Yeah. Any particular reason or just? Um, you know, he just, he, um, you know, there's so many different definitions of success in life. And I think in, as, you know, an entrepreneur or VC kind of, you know, I don't know, I could have named Elon Musk or, yeah. you know, Rita <laughs> Hoffman or whatever. Yeah. But, um, you know, my dad was someone who really sacrificed for his kids mm. and always put us first and uh, lives a very simple life and his focus is on the things that matter the most to him and, you know, his kids and being a good person and, um, you know, being interested in the world and being nice to other people and, you know, he's he instilled that in me and so I'm, I'm really grateful for that and uh, so yeah, he's, he's, he's very inspirational for me. That's good. Uh, favorite podcast? Uh, hmm. Hardcore history is good. Had, that's come up a lot. That's a good one. <laughs> like a, can I say this one? You can say some <laughs> hand-me-downs. Right. Uh, we, we, we'll take it. Yeah. Uh, favorite blog? Gosh. Um, well, I'm a big Tim Ferriss fan. Yeah. So, you know, there's been a lot of great VC blogs, um, but I'll go Tim Ferriss. That's fair. Favorite Instagram account? Uh, favorite Instagram account. I don't know if I have a great answer there. Um, Coach Up. I'll go with Coach <laughs> Up since I, I like everything that okay. Coach Up posts. All right. uh, what's the one thing you wish you could do that you currently can't do? Fly. Ah, that hasn't actually come up before. That's good. All right. No one can fly. <laughs> uh, advice you'd give to your 21-year-old self? Just relax. Everything's gonna work out, you know. Mm. Um, I remember graduating from college and being really like, I did well in college, and you know, my friends were doing iBanking or they were gonna consulting, and they're doing. I, none of that really appealed to me, but I sort of felt like I should, and mm. you know, I was like, maybe think I'm gonna go to law school, and I had this vision, like I don't know, uh, maybe I should just do the kind of easy things and get a job and go the kind of route that yeah. people seem to go and. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm really glad that I didn't, and it wasn't because, you know, I had the foresight to think it. I just, one thing led to another, and the opportunity to play basketball in Israel came up, and I just kind of went with it, and 
that somehow Leds is doing startups, but I wish I just would relax and focus more on who do I want to be, what do I want my life to be about, what do I really care about, and uh, to really prioritize that from a young age. Uh, your last hundred dollars, what do you spend it on, and in what city? So your last hundred dollars in your favorite city, what do you spend it on? If I only had a hundred dollars, I wouldn't spend it. I would. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd yeah, that's good. I'd save that. You know, I. You wouldn't uh, go to like Paddy Power and try and flip it. And <laughs> 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 okay, that's actually a good answer. You wouldn't spend it. Uh, what's the one thing startups should ignore in the early days? I know you alluded to it earlier, but. Yeah, I mean, there's so many wannabe entrepreneurs and, um, you know, you could spend all your time reading blogs and going to conferences and going to get drinks at, I don't know, WeWork or something. Uh, but uh, let's just say focus on building your business, you know, yeah. um, and really trying to understand what really moves the needle to mm. get from point A to point B. How do you de-risk the business for potential investors? Mm -hmm. um, focus on that and uh, all the other stuff will come yeah. on the fringes of it yeah. you know but really focus on building a, a great business and I guess I usually ask people at this stage you know what's the vision they have for their company or their fund I guess for you right now what's the vision you have for Techstars and do you have another startup in you yeah I'm, I'm 32 uh, I've done two I would love to do two that have gone well yeah, so yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, um, I would love to do more. I've got, I think I've got several more in me, hopefully, yeah, but, yeah. you know, got time, hopefully. You're not going to just stop and be a VC and... Uh, I don't <laughs> think so. No. I, I hope not. <laughs> I, you know, I think there's plenty of time for that yeah. later in life, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't really try to, I, try, I don't try to live that way. You know, Coach Trip, I wanted to bring it into the world. It, like, I knew it had to exist. And Draft, like, with Jeremy, like... We knew that thing had to exist, come what may. And Techstar Sports, I feel like, you know, we're going to build the best sports accelerator in the world. And it's something that is very personal for me. And I'm grateful for their help with Coachup and Draft. And yeah. I want to make the best sports accelerator in the world. And I want, you know, so I'm, I'm very happy to do it. Um, and a couple years from now, who knows? Maybe I'll, you know, have some epiphany and realize, like, this thing. But that, that's when you, when you can't stop thinking about something. Um, that's when you, you should do it because the most important uh, leading indicator of success in a startup is just the passion and drive of the founder. And if I don't feel that way about something, then I know I won't bring everything to Even if you bring every little bit of yourself to something, it's really hard to make a company work. It's so hard to, to, to build a company. Um, so I know I need to feel that way about the next one, the way that I did about Coachup and about Draft and the way I now do about Techstar Sports. So, um, but yeah, I... Hey, let's put it this way: if I if I haven't started another company in the next five ten years, um, come find me and yeah. <laughs> slap me around a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'm too young to uh, to hang it to, up to and to be yeah, skiing no. and you know yeah. leading Series C rounds or something. Yeah, yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> you just threw so much shade at VCs, but, <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> they'll, they'll understand. Right. All right, Jordan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, if people want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? Um, I'm on Twitter. I think at Jordan Flegel. Um, so they can hit me up on Twitter. I tend to be pretty responsive. I'm on LinkedIn. I tend to not be so responsive. So maybe Twitter's best. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Jordan, thank you so much. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Just want to say another massive thank you to Jordan for coming on the show and Betaworks for hosting. I hope you found that useful. And not only that, I hope Jordan helped paint a clearer picture about what it actually takes to start a startup. 
As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. They honestly do go a long way. All right. Until next time, keep grinding.